10-3 is brought to you by Odyssey Golf. I gotta say, this is a stroke of genius. The new Stroke Lab putters from Odyssey are engineered to build a better stroke. Odyssey completely rebalanced the putter by using a multi-material shaft that moved weight towards the head and the grip. You'll feel the difference immediately. And with every putt, you'll actually be building a better stroke. And a better stroke is what makes more putts. The new Stroke Lab from Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. Learn more at odysseygolf.com. Violence in Vancouver's underworld flared up again this summer with the death of a prominent member of the Hells Angels. Saminder Graywall from Surrey's Hardside chapter was gunned down at a Starbucks drive through last month, the second member of that chapter to be killed in less than a year. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at what the shooting means for the group, what may have been behind it, and whether it speaks to the possibility of a growing gang war. If you're a fan of the show, and I know you must be because you're listening right now, please take a moment to fill out a short survey. You can find a link in the show notes. Kim Bolin is a crime reporter with the Vancouver Sun who's been covering gangs and organized crime. So Kim, how many chapters of the Hells Angels are there in the Lower Mainland? Uh, We currently have 10 chapters of the Hells Angels here in B.C., Two of those chapters, the Hard Side and the West Point, have been formed within the last 10 years. Uh, This organization continues to expand in the province with lots of new recruits and members entering what they call their program. Uh, They don't become full-patch Hells Angels right away. They have to start off as a hang-around. Then they work their way up to a prospect where they get their black leather vest, but they don't have the famous uh, Death Head logo on the back just yet. When they become full-patch, they have a little ceremony. They get that logo for the backs of their vests. Uh, So this group is continuing to expand despite high-profile murders of two members uh, in the last year and despite the fact that there is an ongoing uh, civil forfeiture case that the government has launched against the Hells Angels. We've also seen a number of convictions of members in the last decade or so. So when you say there's 10 chapters, what constitutes a chapter? Well, the Hells Angels themselves call them charters. Uh, Charters usually a regional uh, breakdown of the group. For example, you know, across the lower mainland, greater Vancouver, we have the Vancouver chapter, which is actually not based in Vancouver. We have the East End chapter, which is based in East Vancouver. Uh, We have the White Rock chapter. Again, it has its clubhouse in Langley. So even though they will take uh, the name of a municipality or a region, they don't always have their base in that area. Hardside, the one we've been talking about, uh, is based in Surrey right now, you know, despite uh, some complaints about the mayor and the police about them setting up shop in that uh, large municipality. So how did the Hardside chapter come into being? Many members of the Hardside chapter were formerly in the Haney chapter out in the Fraser Valley, and uh, there was sort of a dispute or disagreements between some senior members of the Haney chapter, what we might call kind of the old timers, and some of these younger members. So they broke away and formed Hardside back in 2017. Uh, Hardside also has some non-former Haney members. Uh, They have some prospects and younger recruits that they've managed to get into their group over the last couple of years. So when you say there was a dispute between some members of the Haney chapter, how does that work when when someone goes and starts a new chapter? Do these chapters work together or are there territorial kind of borders? They don't interact if there are disputes. How does that kind of 
shake itself out? Well, I think like any organization, there are likely members who don't like other members of the same organization, perhaps even within the same charter or chapter. However, they are part of an international group. They do work together. There are rules that Hells Angels must follow. Some of these have been detailed in various court cases based on minutes and records that police have obtained through search warrants during different criminal investigations. So we know a fair amount about how the Hells Angels works. And uh, they do have to follow certain rules, even if they might personally not get along with an individual in their own group. So what was the role of Saminder Grewal in the Hardside chapter? He was a very popular and high-profile uh, member, even though he had only been uh, a full-patch Hells Angel for the last couple of years. Formerly, he was a prospect with the Haney chapter. He got along with a lot of the younger members. Uh, he was very proud of being a Hells Angel. They had sort of the biker uh, prayer at his funeral listed in the in the little uh, memorial card that they produced. Uh, he also worked with other gangs that were not part of the Hells Angels, one in particular uh, that is called the Brothers Keepers, has been operating for the last few years across the Lower Mainland. He brought those Brothers Keepers sort of into the Hells Angels fold in that they had an association. They weren't members, uh, but they were uh, linked to each other. Brothers Keepers uh, has been involved in a very violent conflict with its own rivals. So, you know, I don't know if all the more senior Hells Angels and other charters would have been happy to have sort of this young, uh, violent group associated with the hard side chapter. So when was Grewal killed? Uh, Grewal was getting his morning coffee, which he apparently did uh, every morning at the same Starbucks drive through in South Surrey, not too far from the U.S. border. Uh, he was literally in the lineup when people pulled up and opened fire on him. Uh, he was killed. Amazingly, you know, despite it being a very you know popular area, lots of people around, no one else was wounded. Uh, the suspects were arrested within an hour, uh, not too far from where the murder occurred. And we now have two young men from the Edmonton area facing charges. So what do we know about these suspects other than that they're from the Edmonton area? Uh, police uh, have said that they were known to them. Uh, you know, my understanding is uh, that the two men, 20 and 21, uh, were known for, you know, more minor crimes like break and enters, maybe home invasions. Certainly, you know, they weren't known as big members of a criminal organization or a gang. So I think the working theory is that someone hired them to do this. I think there's evidence that they were potentially linked to a rival gang. And I think we expect to learn a lot more as the criminal proceedings unfold, I wouldn't be surprised to see other people charged uh, with conspiracy to commit this murder. Why do you suppose they brought people in from out of province to carry out this hit? Is it just a case of not wanting people from within the lower mainland associated with the crime uh, or make it harder for police to solve? Well, as it turned out, it wasn't that hard for police to solve at all because this wasn't a very sophisticated operation if, in fact, these two men that are arrested and facing charges are the ones that did it. Uh, I 
I mean, it happens fairly often. I've seen uh, people, you know, from here being recruited to go to Edmonton or Calgary Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, commit crimes, you know, to do shootings. Yeah, I think that you're trying to throw police off and maybe not look for the the link behind the shooters. Uh, But, you know, police are pretty sophisticated, too, and they can figure it out. You know, having said that, one of the things I've noticed over the last several years is that often the people that end up getting charged directly with shootings, attempted murders and murders are very, very young. 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. So I also think that organized crime tends to use younger, less sophisticated people who are perhaps willing to take this ridiculous risk to go and shoot someone, you know, for some amount of money and making what is a fatal mistake for themselves and for the person that they're targeting, because, you know, they're likely to spend the rest of their life behind bars. Is there any indication about why Grewal may have been targeted? Is it a case of, you know, disputes or territory or people just trying to take out members of this uh, new Hells Angels chapter? I think it's quite possible that because of his relationship with the Brothers Keepers, some of their enemies who also don't like Hell's Angels basically saw this as, uh, you know, kill two birds with one stone. We don't like the HA. We don't like him in particular because he's aligned with this group that we're fighting with across the lower mainland. Uh, but that's just speculation mm-hmm. at this point. We obviously have to wait for evidence. Uh, and, you know, we're going to, you know, amazingly, we have suspects that are charged. So many of these targeted murders, you know, no one ends up getting charged. So we never see the evidence that police have obtained. Yeah, it, it, you know, it is very common gang uh, killings across Canada where no suspects uh, wind up getting taken into custody. That's the case with another member of the Hardside chapter who was killed last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. Uh, Chad Wilson was a close friend of Suminder Graywall's. Uh, you know, we've got lots of photos of them palling around at Hells Angels events, you know, giving each other bro hugs. And Chad Wilson was found murdered underneath a bridge here, not far from Vancouver. Uh, very different style of murder. It's believed to be a targeted hit. It's believed to be linked to international organized crime. No suspects, no witnesses found in a very remote area. You know, so you can see that that is quite a contrast from the dramatic, you know, public shooting that led to Graywall's murder. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier about uh, Greywall uh, forming an alliance with uh, the Brothers Keepers, possibly pe- people within the Hells Angels not very happy about being tied to a kind of a high profile, very violent gang. What would be the motivation behind that kind of alliance? Is it is it muscle or numbers or territory, anything along those lines? I I would say all of the above, right? I mean, you know, the Brothers Keepers are involved in in drug trafficking. Uh, you know, I'm not saying Greywell had no criminal record, but, you know, there's obviously a suspected link to the drug trade. He lived in a very uh, lovely $2.9 million house, even though he had no obvious job. You know, some people in the Hells Angels have been convicted of drug trafficking. So if you want to sort of operate, you know, you get your street-level crew doing all your dirty work for you, and you can maintain a distance that hopefully keeps you out of jail. In this case, however, he still ended up dead. What else have we learned about Greywall since he was killed? What about his his business interests or his uh, dealings with other members of other organized crime groups? 
Well, you know, he had a real history of, you know, kind of borrowing money from people, large amounts of money, and then not paying it back. You know, kind of uh, really irresponsibly behavior if you're involved in organized crime, because there's all these court cases that are filed against you, and you're, you know, bringing a lot of attention to yourself. Having said that, he did somehow manage to pay off all these debts over time, but only after court cases were filed against him. And I'm talking about everything, you know, from not paying the flooring guy who installed flooring in his luxury home, to borrowing almost a million dollars to buy some investment properties uh, in another suburb of Vancouver. So he had a rather troubled financial history. I dug way back into his files and found out that he started another company 20 years ago that he no longer has. And uh, he ended up uh, sort of passing over uh, that company to someone else who was murdered back in 2012. So certainly there are people who have links to organized crime way back in his history, and others besides himself have also ended up being violently murdered. What do you think that this killing says about the current organized crime landscape in the lower mainland, could we see retaliation? Could we see inflamed tensions and other bloodshed? Well, I know that's something police are worried about. I mean, obviously, no one wants to predict that. We hope that there is no retaliation. And I know police are doing everything they can to gather intelligence to head anything off. We haven't seen anything yet. That's a good sign. However, that is something uh, that police are concerned about and expect might occur. And you just have to look back to 2016 when we had a very senior member of the Hells Angels here, a fellow named Bob Green, and he was shot to death at kind of a rowdy drunk party was almost accidental by uh, someone who was his former friend. And within a few days, uh, the fellow who'd brought the gun to that party, not the guy that actually did the shooting, was found dismembered by the side of a road here in BC. And that was believed to be not only retaliation, but a brutal message to anyone who crosses the Hells Angels. So you were at the you attended the funeral for Gray Waller. You were you were observing from the sidelines. What can you tell me about what that was like? Well, there were over 250 Hell's Angels from across the country, many from um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, all the way back to Ontario, uh, Quebec Maritimes. Uh, interestingly, we had Walter Stadnick here. He was the former national president of the Hell's Angels, hmm. uh, currently with the Niagara chapter, very very senior member. Uh, he had just finished uh, parole conditions uh, a few months earlier that prevented him from associating with Hells Angels or anyone else with a criminal history. Uh, so as soon as those conditions were done, he made sure that he attended this high-profile service. So, you know, it was it was rather tense. I had a few of these Hells Angels uh, screaming at me, not happy that I was covering this event. Police were monitoring it. Uh, it was at a funeral home, but uh, then the Hells Angels went back to their Surrey clubhouse to uh, have a wake, if you will, for this popular member who was killed. How common are shootings like this involving the Hells Angels? They're not that common. You know, I've sort of done a list of about a dozen Hells Angels that have been killed in this province over the last 20 years. Uh, certainly there have been others uh, shot, wounded, and also killed in other provinces. Uh, Hells Angels in BC are amongst uh, the most powerful in the country and in the world. Uh, so it's very rare to have two members of the same chapter, which has fewer than 10 members, you know, murdered violently in, in less than 10 months. 
And what can you tell me about the civil forfeiture hearing that's going on? Well, this case has been going on for 12 years, if you can believe it. Uh, the BC government is trying to seize three different clubhouses belonging to three chapters of the Hells Angels, uh, Nanaimo, East End, Vancouver, and Kelowna. The government's position is that these clubhouses will be used uh, for criminal activity in the future, and therefore, you know, they should be given over to the government. The Hells Angels has been fighting back, has filed countersuit against the government, saying that the the civil forfeiture laws in this province are unconstitutional. All the evidence is in. We're just waiting for a ruling now. I guess the key to this is that we might have, uh, if the government is successful, the first ever declaration in this province anyway by a court that the Hells Angel is a criminal organization. We've had that declaration in other provinces, in other court cases, but that has never happened in BC. So it's a fairly major case. And regardless of the outcome, I'm sure it'll be appealed by whichever side loses. And when can we expect that to come down? I think sometime within the next month or two. So everyone's sort of waiting for that. There was an interim ruling that was released just this week on a motion that the Hells Angels filed trying to get the case tossed for charter violations, and they lost on that front. So now we're just waiting for, you know, the, the main case to conclude with the judge's ruling. Now, it, obviously, the police view the Hells Angels as a criminal enterprise, but the fact that the court's in BC haven't. What's the significance if that actually happens? Well, I think it'll be a lot harder for the Hells Angels to say, look, you know, we're being treated unfairly by the police uh, when we're just motorcycle enthusiasts. I mean, that's the euphemism that's become a bit of a joke here. Oh, they're just people who like to ride Harleys around when we've seen time and time again, you know, links to major cross-border drug conspiracies. I mean, there have been so many convictions of individual members uh, over the last I'd say 15 years or so, that they really can't say that there are no criminal links. Now, they're still saying organizationally, there are no links to organized crime and that any member that's been convicted, that's just their own business. It has nothing to do with us as an organization. But, you know, if a court says otherwise, that will be very significant. Well, we'll definitely be watching for when that decision comes down. Kim, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Additional production from Dar McQuana. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Kim Bolin. More from her at VancouverSun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>